Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. <clears throat> Upon this your confession, I by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, round the sheep of His hand. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. 
come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high. Stir up, O Lord, the will of your faithful people, that they, plenteous, bringing forth the fruit of good works, may in you be plenteously rewarded through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament lesson, this the 24th Sunday after the Trinity, is written in the 51st chapter of the prophet Isaiah, beginning at the ninth verse. Awake, awake, and put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces and pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep? who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man 
who is made like grass. And I have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself up to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He is bowed down, shall be speedily released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying in Zion, you are my people. This is the word of the Lord. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from the tears, my feet from stumbling. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my plea for mercy. The epistle lesson is written in the first chapter of St. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, beginning at the ninth verse. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Alleluia! With you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Alleluia. Holy Gospel is written in the ninth chapter of St. Matthew, beginning at the 18th verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, said to her, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. 
And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all the district. This is the gospel of the Lord. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father And he will come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. for me. 
since thy wrath hath stirred, holy and righteous God, holy and mighty God, holy and all-merciful Savior, eternal Lord God, save us lest we Of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. No one ever told me that grief would feel so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. It's the same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed, there's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what others are saying, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It is so uninteresting. Yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. 
If only they would just talk to one another and not to me. And there are moments, most unexpectedly, when something inside me tries to assure me that I don't really mind so much. Not so very much, after all. Love is not the whole of a man's life. I was happy before I ever met her. I had plenty of what is called resources, people to get over these things. Come, I, I shan't do so badly. One is ashamed to listen to this voice, but it, it does seem for a little to be making a good case. And then comes a sudden jab of red-hot memory, and all this common sense vanishes like an ant at the mouth of a fiery furnace, and one passes on to tears and pathos, and I almost prefer those moments of agony, at least they're clean and honest. So wrote C.S. Lewis in, in his book, A Grief Observed. It's the book he wrote after his wife had died. And it was in one of these moments of agony that Jesus entered the house of the ruler. He entered the family, into the house of a family of a dead girl. And when Jesus came into the house, he saw the flute players and the, and the crowd make, that was wailing. And he said unto them, make room for the girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they, rid they ridiculed him. They ridiculed him. And I think I probably would have too. Maybe we all would have. You think? But before I explore that, it is interesting to note that before Christianity, people placed their loved ones in in cities of the dead, but since Christ, we Christians place ours in cemeteries, which means the place of the sleeping ones. But even for Christians, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? I mean, it really is hard to believe that, that they're sleeping, that they'll awaken in the resurrection on the last day. His death is just so final. And they ridiculed him, right? Because... You know, when people come to us with their clumsy attempts at comfort, when we are standing next to the casket of our beloved or over the deathbed of our beloved ones, you know, we really just don't want to hear it, do we? I mean, it really is cruel what people say to us, trying to comfort us. But it would maybe be better if they were just silent, right? Because when they try to comfort us, don't we all feel more often than not more like Ruth? When she said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Or as Job laments, for the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me, and my spirit drinks in their poison, and the terrors of God are arrayed against me. There's no time for whimsical platitudes at that point, is it? We just don't want to hear it. See, death is a lot like love, isn't it? Lewis, in another essay, said once that, that love is, 
love, when somebody's in love, you know, it, it, it is such an emotion that you think that, you know, you won't even be able to live if you don't experience that love, right? It's so amazing. But the same thing is true with death. When you're in the midst of, the, of death, you think there's no one else that can understand the visceral, animal-level pain that you're going through. And you really resent the attempts people make to try to relate. Because after all, death is just so final. The finality of grief is just so profound. And yet, our gospel lesson this morning would, would remind us that God's intervention at the moment of our grief is not a laughing matter. It is not something we should ridicule or make fun of or, or minimize. And I think that's the reason why he put the crowd outside, because that, that's what they were doing. Because those who mock Jesus' presence need no longer be burdened by it. I mean, that's the reason why so many choose not to attend church on Sundays or any day that the services are held, right? Because they just don't want to be burdened by Jesus' presence. That that's, seems to be the truth. I mean, Jesus literally kicks them out of, of the place he is in. Because you're not going to be serious about it. Why? Why pretend? Now, for the record, though, I would say, to remind myself and, and all of us, that Jesus, uh, that God the Father in heaven does know what grief is like. That when Jesus enters the room of the dead girl, God knows, the Trinity knows, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all understand what death is. Because Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. And so through his Father, Christ does know what the emotion that God goes through when he sees death. Because God the Father also lost a child. Yes, he sacrificed his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. Right? So not only does God know that, he's, that he, he knows what it's like to lose a, lose a child, but not only that, but he was the instrument of that child's death for us. And just to put yourself in God's headspace a little bit, as I said to the first service, think if, you, think if one of us sacrificed one of our children for another person. Because when God sacrificed his son on the cross, he did it for us when we still were his enemies, when we didn't care. Just think about that for a second, just to get yourself into God's mind a little bit, right? Just think if you put two in the back of one of your kids' heads for some of somebody in this room and you just didn't care about that sacrifice at all. It meant nothing to us. How would you feel? Now you know how God feels. It really hurts. And it makes him angry. So God does know what it's like to lose a child. And he has to live with the knowledge that he was the one that ended his only begotten son's life. And because God is an eternal being, because the Father is eternal, just as the Son is eternal, just as the Spirit is eternal, as it says in the, in the, in the Athanasian Creed. So there is a place where God is always mourning that eternal moment when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Somewhere in God, there is all, he is always at Good Friday. See, you and I get to go on to Easter, but, but with God, no, he's always there at the cross, looking down at the, at the, at the increasingly whitening corpse of his dead son hanging there by, only by the nails now. Because he's given up the ghost. So yes, Jesus truly died on the cross, and God the Father made that sacrifice so that you and I would be saved. And so God the Father understands the moment of grief. He understands the profound sadness that every one of us must endure repeatedly. The British historian John Keegan, one of the most distinguished historians uh, of the 20th century, really, he said that when he was in North America, you know, working on his, his doctoral thesis, he said that um, he said that I've, he said oddly, I have all the regions of the U.S. I've come to love the South more than any other region, and he said that it retains for Europeans a trace of cultural familiarity as the rest of the country does not. Zonenweise, yes, and I've tried often to analyze why I feel this way, however slight of being at home in Dixie. Class system, yes. History, yes. But more importantly, I suspect, he writes, the lingering aftermath of defeat. Europe is a continent of defeated nations. Victorious America has never known the tread of occupation, the return of beaten men. The South, he says, is the exception. And in God the Father, there is a strain of sadness that goes back to the cross. That while God loves you, he is also sad. Because he had to bury his son. And when you look, you look at comparative religions, there is no other religion where this happens. In all of the religious systems, all of them, you, the devotee, sacrifice either yourself or your children to the deity. Small d. Hence, the Canaanites caused their children to pass through the fires to the Baals, the Moabites to the Shamash, right? You know, and from Mexico and the Aztec pyramids to the Far East, yes, it is always the pagan religion. It's always a feature, horrific feature of ancient and modern paganism that it is, it is the children or another human that must be sacrificed. Right? Just like, it, just like at Carthage when they were losing to the Romans, they started sacrificing their own citizens to their false gods, hoping that their deities would rescue them, and they did not, of course. Yet all these false religions fail to grasp the essential truth that it is only Christ, the Holy Lamb of God, that can take away the sins of the world. It is only Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is the one who can, can be the only one who is the mediator between God and man. He's the only one that can mount the given at the cross. He's the only one whose death will make, make possible forgiveness for all mankind. All humanity. And it is only when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That, that our sins are forgiven and that it is finished. And God the Father had to be the one that was doing the forsaking in that moment. He is the one that had to, had to endure watching that death. And he did it because he knew 
that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection were the only way any of us could have salvation. It was the only way we would not also go to the death and hell that our sins justly deserve. That we, through our sins, justly deserve as well. And that's why Jesus Christ came to that room, that house. And the first thing he said to the crowd was, make room. Comma. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They ridiculed him. Right? Because the world doesn't understand, do they? I don't even know half the time we as Christians understand. Do we really? And he went and he took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and report went throughout all the land. Notice though first, it's really interesting, that the first thing Jesus says when he enters the house is make room. This is exactly how Luther's baptismal rite begins. Right? Depart, thou unclean spirit, make room for the Holy Spirit. That's the first exorcism in baptism. Depart, thou unclean spirit, make room for the Holy Spirit. And when we too were baptized, right, that those same words were spoken, and through Christ, promises connected to water, the Holy Spirit made room for himself in us as we were born again of water and the Spirit. Yes. The enemy, the demonic, was put out just as those crowds were put out of the house. So they were put out of us. Now the world... Most of it rejects Christ's baptism as, as just ridiculousness. Because the world sees only plain water and no baptism. And that's the reason why, as I said earlier, they're not really present in the church, are they? Because they've too been put out by their own choice, sadly. Because they see plain water and no baptism. And yet we know, we in the church know that baptism is not simple water only. But it is water that is comprehended in God's word and connected to his promises. Right? And what are those promises of God? Well, Jesus' word himself. Jesus says, go ye and teach and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Yes, just as Jesus went in and took that little child, that young girl, by the hand, and the girl arose and was alive, so Christ Jesus comes to us in the waters of holy baptism, and there, in baptism, he too takes us by the hand and lifts us off our deathbeds as well. So that every baptism is a resurrection, if you look at it through the promises of Christ and his word. Right? Because as Jesus once told Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, that unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Now, some of you might say, what well, I made a decision to get baptized when I was an adult. Or my parents made the decision for me to be baptized. Is that what you think? <laughs> you think that? Well, you know, the scriptures also say that many are the plans in the heart of a man, but the will of the Lord is established. Which means that if you were baptized as an infant, it was Christ Jesus himself who caused your parents to bring you to baptism. If you got baptized by your own decision as an adult, it was really Christ's decision who called you through the gospel and then at baptism enlightened you through his word. And this 
true is the only real antidote to our grief. In the name of Jesus, amen. Receive these gifts of the service then also in the preaching of our holy word. In your name, the Lord we pray. Amen. Like welcome everybody this morning. It's really great to have all of you here. And I just note the the uh, the. Uh, agenda for this week, uh, the schedule for this week, it's going to be a low week in the sense that um, the office is only going to be open on Tuesday, but uh, notice that on Wednesday evening there will be divine service at 7 p.m. Normally how, how we do things is if school's in session, services are at 6, school's not in session, which is, which is the reality for Wednesday, services are at 7 p.m., so just uh, let you know um, and that as well. And then also we have some prayer requests today. One is uh, Kelly Freeman asked that we pray uh, for um, those who mourn uh, his aunt, Betty Duncan, who passed away uh, last night in Jackson, Mississippi. And then Donna Freeman asked that we also pray for um, um, also for those who mourn her aunt, Linda. Is it Linda 
Paul believes. Okay, so Ludwig leaves. Okay. And she also died uh, last Saturday as well, like yesterday. Is that right? Am I reading that correctly? Last week. Last week. My condolences to you and your family. Um, and then also from first service, um, um, Susan Pacey said that uh, we can pray for Craig Jackson, uh, Pastor Jackson. He uh, just had a, a surgery, and um, but he's going to have a long rehab. Um, so uh, if you want to pray for him. And also in the fellowship hall, there's um, a blue piece of paper that's up that has the address for, for Craig. Uh, that was Pastor Jackson, my predecessor's son. So uh, just to make, make, make y'all aware of that as well. And then also just uh, um, just uh, my daughter Katie also got married yesterday in uh, Seal Beach, California. And uh, so we just give thanks for that as well. The Lord be with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of all Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. For all this holy house and for those of faith, piety, and the fear of God, offer to their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and all people, all teachers, let us pray to the Lord. For our United States and all of our people, for our president and Congress, for K.R. Governor and the legislature of Alabama, for our judges and magistrates, and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound and the infirm, especially we pray this day for uh, Alice and uh, Joy and, and um, Craig and, and Becca, Joyce and Mary, Mark and Eddie, Norma and Kim and Suzette, for Betsy and Janine, for Sugar and, and, and uh, Brooke, for Janice and Taylor, Melissa and Danny, Tara and Melissa, for Gray and Bob, Meredith and James, George and Larry Dean and Earl and Suzette, for Bob and Mallory, for Mark and Hank and Jay, Tracy and Michelle, Carl and Karen and Jimmy and Tina, for Ainsley and, and Kevin, for Ron and Jesse, Theo and Easton, Waylon and Ryan. And we pray for the families of our parish who mourn, especially the Tatum and Rogers family, the Faust and Callie's family, the Todd family, the Bolton, Grice and Heil family, and the Blunt and Davis families. And we pray, Heavenly Father, also for the, those in service to our country's armed forces, especially we pray this day for Riley, Paul, Hayden and Paul. And we pray for all of our university students, including Minnie, Aiden, Jacob, Kelsey, and Neon. And we pray for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope, and in the communion of Christ's holy church. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord Recalling those who have gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. 
We pray um, especially this day for those who mourn the death of Betty Duncan and also those who mourn the death of Linda Hall Gleaves. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would have mercy upon all who mourn and all who, all who are lonely and desolate because of the death of Betty and, and Linda. We pray that you would be thou their comforter and friend and give unto them such earthly solace as thou seekest to be best for them and bring them to a full knowledge of thy love and wipe away all their tears. We ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. And also we pray for the continued recovery of Craig Jackson. Lord God, Heavenly Father, the salvation of them that be weak. Hear our prayers on behalf of thy servant Craig, who is recovering from surgery. We pray that, that he will continue to get stronger and that, uh, that he will recuperate fully so that he, be, so that he will be restored to his proper health. We ask this for the sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Finally, we pray for um, Katie's, Katie and Jacob's wedding yesterday. Lord God, Heavenly Father, um, you brought uh, Eve to Adam and uh, created the institution of the holy matrimony. We pray that you would uh, keep both Katie and Jacob um, in their marriage vows safe and that you would protect them from all evil and also that they would have a long and, 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 and prosperous marriage between each other, full of love and forgiveness. We ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.